Hey there, People's History fans. How's it going? Suzanne here. So normally around this time of year, we're kicking off a brand new season full of episodes for you to enjoy. But this time we're waiting until May, and I promise it'll be worth the wait. One of the stories we're working on is about a former slave who rises up to dominate the independence business scene, fabricating the actual parts that made westward trail exploration possible. I mean, this is a guy who was sort of the epicenter of, of peopling the American West. Plus... Everybody likes to say that gay rights started with Stonewall. That's probably another one of the big lies. Years before the Stonewall Uprising, Kansas City played a critical role in connecting gay rights organizations across the country. So that and much more will be starting in May. But in the meantime, we thought we'd share another podcast we've been working on. Last year, the state of Missouri celebrated its 200th birthday. And for the bicentennial celebration, PHKC producer Mackenzie Martin and I produced a podcast called Hungry for Mo. It's hosted by the fantastic Kansas City food writer Jenny Vergara and amazing chef Natasha Bailey. This particular episode about how Kansas City created the Crock-Pot is totally up the people's history alley. So if you love cheese dip and chili, or basically the concept of convenience in general, then you're going to love this Hungry for Mo episode all about some innovative Kansas City women who created a beloved iconic dish maker. I'll let Jenny take it from here. If you were around in the early 1970s, you might remember what it was like when the Crock-Pot first came on the scene. You mean the one and only rival Crock-Pot, the original stoneware slow cooker that cooks all day, stews, soups, roasts... Television commercials sold the slow cooker to women, and specifically women, as a miraculous, time-saving device. It had an obvious appeal, since at the time women were still expected to do most, if not all, of the cooking, in addition to working and taking care of the kids and the house. The Crock-Pot's famous tagline was, Cooks all day while the cook's away. Telling women, really, in no uncertain terms, you can have it all. But what a lot of people in Missouri don't know is that Rival Manufacturing, the company who actually created the Crock-Pot, did all of this from Kansas City. Take this commercial from the 80s. We open on a spacious suburban home. A pretty blonde woman chops up a mountain of peppers and zucchini, hugs her daughter goodbye on her way to the school bus before driving off to work. Sunrise becomes sunset and mom reappears, home from work, to find her crock pot has turned all those simple vegetables into a tasty dinner. For the first time, dad appears and the camera gently pulls away as mom, dad, and the children all sit down to enjoy their easy, nutritious dinner. That's freedom. Yeah, it's super cheesy by today's standards, but it is true that for some women, the Crock-Pot was more than a newfangled kitchen gadget. It did spell freedom. But what the commercial doesn't advertise is that sometimes with freedom comes more responsibility. And that freedom doesn't apply to all women equally. From KCUR Studios in Kansas City and the Missouri Humanities Council, this is Hungry for Mo, a podcast about the stories behind the iconic foods that shape our region. I'm Jenny Vergara, a freelance writer and the founder of The Test Kitchen, an underground supper club in Kansas City. And I'm Natasha Bailey, a chef, cheese enthusiast, and home gardener. On today's episode, we're talking about how Kansas City created the Crock-Pot, a device that revolutionized some women's lives, and not just in how they cooked, but how they spent their time. 
Okay, so we have to start right by talking about your love and or hatred and or don't care. I mean, in other words, what's your experiences with slow cookers? I love them. Love them as in love them as a child and now even cook with them as an adult or love them as an adult or? Um, I think as a child, I didn't really pay attention. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would like coming home to the smell of them, of like knowing that there was something good cooking. I loved that smell. But I don't think I cared as much about using one um, until I had a family of my own. Mm-hmm. And then it was such a time saver that I loved it. And when did you get your crock pot? I got my first crock pot um, for cheese dip. I had to be in my late 20s. For cheese dip? That's the only thing it was used for? At first, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Priorities. In your 20s, it's all about the cheese dip. all about the cheese dip. And then I think I moved to like soups or like pot roast because you could start it in the morning and have it ready when you came home from work or – Sundays, like I remember um, waking up early if there was like a football game and getting something in the crock pot for later. And those little cocktail weenies, they'd go great in a crock pot. So, yeah, (laughs) I just keep thinking of the Super Bowl. Okay. Your favorite, favorite thing about using a crock pot for cooking? Convenience. Yeah. It's just so convenient. I like being able to put all the ingredients in and walk away and do something else. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You and every other woman in 1971. <laughs> so I want to just kind of go through, you know, kind of how we ended up talking to who we talked to for this podcast. And to do that, I need to go back and give you a little bit of history about how this happened. So in 1940s, there was a company called Naxon Utilities Corp. And it had the patent for a product called the Naxon Beanery. I cannot imagine a worse name yeah. than the beanery. Like, I just, <laughs> I don't want to eat anything out of the beanery, I have to say. <laughs> but anyway, it was basically the precursor to the crock pot, and it was intended just to be a bean cooker. Literally, just put your beans in, let them cook, and then keep them warm, just like you would a crock pot. Again, this is the 1940s. Not a lot of people needed a crock to cook beans and hold beans hot. Just wasn't a big seller for them. At the same time, in Kansas City, there was a company called Rival Corporation. And Rival Corporation in the 1950s was making hay. They were making products that had a lot of O-mats behind them, like the knife-o-mat, the juice-o-mat, the can-o-mat, <laughs> right? Just yeah. all the O-mats. I love kitchen gadgets. So um, they were really a very successful company. They were taking off and they were selling all of these kind of newfangled products to help make women's lives easier potentially in the kitchen with all of these OMAT type products. In 1970, the head of Naxon was ready to retire and he sold all of his patents and all of his products to the rival corporation in Kansas City. The rival corporation then inherited the Naxon Beanery and scratched their heads just like you're doing right now. What are we going to do with this product? What, what a crock that makes beans, like keeps beans hot. What are we going to do with this? So the bigwigs decided to hand that over to the home economists that were hired at the rival corporation to do product testing and figure out what does this thing do? What can it do? And there was a woman in there named Marilyn Neal. She was basically the first home economist that got a hold of the beanery and decided to play with it and just figured out that it could be used for a multitude of cooking meat, protein, vegetables, 
really deep home-cooked chilies, stews, soups, I mean, appetizers, cakes. There was a, a whole genre of food that could be cooked in this machine. And she said, we shouldn't call it the beanery because it doesn't just cook beans, it cooks so much more. She basically went and kind of lobbied for the Naxon Beanery to be um, refurbished, you know, tested, and then relaunched as a new product. The idea behind the product to make the woman's life easier, that is, that is something that should be celebrated a lot more. Because at least at a time where women weren't at the forefront of everyone's mind, there was someone out there thinking, how can I make it a little bit easier on them? It was another woman. Right. So that was in 1970 that that happened. In 71, they took the first rival corporation crockpot to the Chicago National Housewares Show, where they basically went on the floor with a uh, rust, reddish-orange, harvest gold and brown, and avocado green versions of the (laughs) crockpot that was for sale. Okay. Here's the Rival Crock-Pot with a stoneware liner that lifts out for easy serving and cleaning. There are dozens of great gift ideas for mom. And by 1972, with advertising help and word of mouth from housewives across the country, the sales for the Rival Crock-Pot went from $2 million to $93 million in a period oh of four gosh. years. Exploded. And so what that meant was these home economists that were sitting in the corporation at Rival now had a job to do. And this is where we meet kind of the first ladies that I'll introduce you to. I'm Roxanne Weiss. And I'm Kathy Moore. I started at Rival in 1976 and left there in 1986. I started at Rival in 1981 and I left around 1988. And I like to point out that Kathy's much older than I am. (laughs) A little. And Kathy Moore was uh, hired into the home economist kitchen, if you will, at Rival by Marilyn Neal, the woman who actually did all the recipe testing kind of to create the crock pot. First of all, you need to know I wanted that job, her job. I wanted to be a part of that. She had come and spoke at Kathy's college and Kathy had decided this is who I want to be like. I want to work with her. This is what I want to do for a living. And so I was thrilled when just after college, I was hired to work with Marilyn. And at the time, it was a very busy, hopping, exciting location. This was at the Kansas City office. And a few years later, Kathy hired Roxanne to come on board and work with her. I think by the time I entered into the picture, we were busy creating recipes that were convincing people that perhaps the slow cooker or the crock pot was something more than just a piece of meat with a can of soup on it. So these two ladies worked together for many, many years, almost six to seven years together in the rival corporation kitchen. I think you might find it interesting to know that the majority of our job back then, especially back then, was really quality control and to make sure that these units would be safe for all to use. I mean, this isn't just like, hey, I've got a good recipe. Let's put this in the cookbook. No, I mean, it's like cooking it and testing it and cooking it and tasting it and making sure it's at temp and making sure it's easy. And every night at midnight, we set up, what was it, six or eight whole chickens in crock pots with carrots and onions and celery. It was all measured out. It was very scientific. And we wheeled them over to the engineering department where they thermal coupled the chicken, the breast, the thighs. And at midnight, that pot turned on and we would come to work at eight o'clock the next morning and 
unload all of those chickens, I think we could run eight pots every night. And we, we would spend the morning evaluating those chickens to make sure that those pots were performing acceptable. But they're also asked to basically uphold the um, trademark rights to Crock-Pot. So if they see anybody out in the market claiming to be a Crock-Pot when they're not a Crock-Pot, they have to send the cease and desist letters to say, no, you may not use the Crock-Pot name because you are not a rival corporation Crock-Pot. I mean, Crock-Pot was brand new. It was exciting. Suddenly, there were competitive brands, you know, something similar on the market. I'm cooking dinner right now. In the Crock Watcher from Hamilton Beach, the slow cooker with automatic... But they weren't the Crock-Pot. I call them the Crock-Pot police. We would answer letters where people were trying to cook funny foods in it or... um, misuse the appliance in many ways, melting wax and doing all kinds of things. That sounds a little unsafe. Don't even get us going about putting that can of sweetened condensed milk in the slow cooker. Oh my, yes. It can explode and it can cause problems. So we see that still today where people recommend that and we just shake our heads. Like, no. Right. Like putting the whole can in to like caramelize it, I guess? Yes. yes. Yeah, to try to caramelize it. And yeah, maybe maybe it works once in a while, but it only takes once for it to explode and cause a lot of damage. And then frozen foods. I mean, we would always hear someone that put their whole frozen chicken or roast in a crock pot and then wondered why the crock broke. And on top of that, if they would like go out to lunch at a little cafe across the street, and happened to see crock pots lined up that the chef was using to like keep chili warm for lunch. The crock pots are meant to have their lids on. So if they found the lids off, those ladies went back and typed up a little letter and sent it. So we would come back and then we would say, can we write XYZ restaurant a letter because that's a misuse or, you know. And to this day, if I see one in that setting, I just like, oh dear. They thought about so much. They were the keepers of the brand. They were regulators. So the recipe development was sort of uh, what we loved to do, but it was more like work that in when you have time. So there is actually a little booklet that comes with every crock pot that has a series of recipes, if you've ever looked in the back of it, right? These ladies are responsible for doing those and putting them in as, you know, just standards, home cooking standards. It was the only key that anybody had on learning how to use your crock pot. The food was probably Midwest in in that. And you look at who was in those test kitchens. But at the same time, that was comforting old-fashioned food. And beef stew transcends all of the United States. And so there were people all over that were clamoring to get it. Now, that's not to say that obviously there were regional differences. I mean, there was all kinds of recipes for New England-style baked beans or a clam chowder or things that were very regional that were done in the crock pot. It was soups, stews, pot roasts, chickens, and that's what people wanted. They were saying that two of the most popular Kansas City-style recipes, um, Roxanne, Roxanne and Kathy were saying, were like steak soup and then a brisket cooked all day. At that time, food and grocery expenses were beginning to go up. And people wanted to cook um, economically, and a slow cooker gave them that opportunity to use what we would call less tender cuts of meat that were often less expensive and create a great dinner. You know, it's one of those things where I was like, what's like some of the craziest things that, you know, you've ever seen done in a crock pot? 
things like stuffed beef heart and beef tongue and chicken livers and uh, lots of things that we don't typically eat as much or can even find as much today. So we've talked about the convenience, but it's also about people who don't love to cook. They just want to win. They just want yes. a success, right? And so with the crock pot, it's almost foolproof, fail-proof, if you will. You know, you can basically put a protein, some veg, a little bit of sauce or liquid of some kind, and you can have a successful meal that your family will eat that will be warm and ready when it's time to go. And that feels like a win when yes. you don't love to cook. And one of the most popular, you know, we laughed at the name, pork chop abracadabra. You just put your pork chops in the slow cooker and you topped it with a can of cream of mushroom soup or um, chicken soup or barbecue sauce. That's like a dream job, right? To to research and just work on a product that feeds people. Oh, my gosh. The one thing that they could never figure out how to cook in a crock pot was pasta, anything with cheese or cream cheese or sour cream. Because when it's cooked over long periods of time, it separates. We were frustrated, right, Kathy? Oh, absolutely. And people would always write to us and, and ask that. You know, the, the thing about the Crock-Pot, when it came into kind of the home economist lab at Rival Corporation, was... You know, this was all, all of a sudden a product that just like really took off with a bullet. Probably they hadn't seen anything like this before. And it really took a home uh, economist sitting down with it and like putting it through its paces. How about a cake? How about a roast? How about a stew? How about a soup? You know, figuring out all of the different ways. And I just remember lots of high pressured meetings where it's got to do more. You've got to come up with more. And, and we would come back and just shake our heads and say, we're trying, we're trying, we're trying. <laughs> So I think this was a real challenge for them. It was kind of a blessing and a curse. They all loved the crock pot because they'd given birth to it. When a company comes up with a product like a crock pot, those are kind of a once in a lifetime product development for a corporation. And it does then put a tremendous amount of pressure and weight on that home economics department. The other thing you have to consider kind of in the 70s and, and going into the 80s was there was the oil crisis and the energy crisis, both in the 70s, kind of back to back. So people were really concerned about, here's this pot that I plug in all day. Surely I'm wasting massive amounts of energy. It's just sucking, you know, energy all day long. And of course, we had to educate that, no, it maybe cost at that time three cents a day to run it. Oh my gosh, that's so smart. So in that way, it was also very timely. And I don't think they that when it was introduced, that wasn't the goal. It was really to get dinner on the table in an easy, efficient manner and have a, a warm meal when you came home from work because more women were working in the workforce. And at that time, more women were in charge of cooking dinner. And so the fact that it then became an energy issue sort of double barreled it into success. So obviously we've talked a little bit about the fact that women's lives really were changing at the exact same time that the crock pot was kind of basically kind of coming on the scene. And this really wasn't by accident. For many families, the pot is really a lifesaver. And so this is where I want to bring an expert in. I'm Paula Johnson, curator of food history at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C. The Crock-Pot basically happened at the same time that uh, women came into their own power. Women started going back into the workplace. 
or even if you were a stay-at-home mom, you know, you were able to d- have time to volunteer and take care of your kids and do other things during the day rather than just sit in a hot kitchen over a hot stove. Yes. And one of the things that came out um, talking to Paula from the Smithsonian was the fact that the crock pot was really, um, it was a great benefit to the women who were able to afford it. We're talking of generally uh, white middle-class women who could afford the device, which in 1971 cost $25. And so it didn't benefit all women. You know, this idea that this would be revolutionary for all women, you know, I always chafe against um, anything that, you know, assumes that we all have the same experience. Because as we know, there are many different kinds of experiences in family life, in occupational life, and um, expectations at home. So the the question about uh, who did this serve or who who benefited from this the most is, I believe, the group of of um, middle class women, especially uh, white women, who uh, were able to combine it effectively with their changing lifestyle. You know, the crock pot is hailed as an unlikely symbol of women's equality, but whether it really made women's lives easier seems to be a little debatable among historians, and I just wondered what you thought. Sure. You know, we may dream of of a device or a machine that makes our lives easier, but there are always trade-offs and unintended consequences. Um, scholars have pointed out how home appliances, you know, from vacuum cleaners to washing machines, all change our expectations surrounding the outcomes. So with appliances and devices, there's really no excuse for, for dust bunnies or less than sparkling clothes. In other words, they create more work for mother. Here's this fabulous vacuum cleaner. Okay, that means no more dust bunnies in the house ever. So with every new gadget (laughs) that you would get, (laughs) you would have this this, um, increasing standard of cleanliness or whatever that, you know, some women found really intimidating and just not easy to live up to. Yeah, because it's more work on top of work. Right. I mean, and not to mention the fact that all of the home... I mean, everything regarding the home, whether it was the children or the meals or the cooking or the cleaning, all of it really still rested on women's shoulders. I mean, they were looking for ways to make it easier on themselves, and in some ways, it may have made it harder. So women were kind of in this catch-22 during this time, and this was the 80s in particular was kind of a, we can have it all. I think that it's still like that. (laughs) I I don't think that a lot has changed in that area. I think that women have a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility all of the time. Do you remember that those kinds of mantras, you know, yes. working women can do everything. We can I mean, don't make me repeat the Anjali. Anjali, the new 8-hour perfume for the 24-hour woman. I can bring on the bacon. Oh. It is very complicated to be a woman and then when you add kids and work to the situation it just compounds the responsibilities that you carry 
the thing was, there were changing roles not only for women, but also at the family dynamic, too. If you think about this, kids were starting to all of a sudden have after-school programs yes, and sports and dance and all the things, right? And dad was maybe a doctor and was on call late or came home from the office late. And that was the beauty of the crockpot. So when Junior got home from basketball, go ahead and have some stew. It's there in the pot. Help yourself. Yes. When Daddy comes home late from work, go ahead and help yourself. It's in the pot. And that way, Mom wasn't having to fuss and, you know, fuss around the kitchen. She could go on about her day and get things done that she needed to get done. And so there was freedom, but there was also a price to pay that kind of came along with it in terms of expectations for women. In 2018, they were still selling 12 million crockpots a year. I believe it. Roxanne and Kathy in particular were telling us that now you can get a crockpot with your favorite sports team wrapped around it, you know? <laughs> so if you're a big Chiefs fan, right, you have your Chiefs crockpot yes. or whatever it is. Perfect for, for tailgating. Perfect for tailgating. That's right. That's right. And who would have thought all those years ago that there'd be a, a contraption that you could take somewhere, cook, you know, prepare your food in it, unplug it, take it somewhere, and plug it back in. Everyone and, can do it. Right. Everyone can do it. That's it. My teenage son can do it. Yes. <laughs> Put him to work, you know. Yes. I mean, seriously, this is one of the those things where um, we are now entering at kind of a different time and place where anybody can use the crock pot. I mean, there's hunters that hunt and break down and make venison chili right there on the spot or yeah. whatever. So, um, you know, this is really a tool that has kind of come out of the realm, I think, of women and kind of gone more kind of just across the country. It's not just a woman's appliance anymore. That's for sure. But the other thing, too, that I want you to know about the Rival Corporation is that the crock pot itself was actually you know, not only developed and kind of reimagined in Kansas City and sold, obviously, from a Kansas City corporation, but all the parts and pieces used to make the crock pot were actually produced in Missouri as well. And all of the plants, except for the, the kiln that made the stoneware, were in small town Missouri, in Albany and Clinton and Warrensburg and Sweet Springs and Sedalia. And then the corporate office was obviously in Kansas City. They used a local Kansas City advertising agency, Bernstein Rain, to do all their advertising back in the day. They were committed to, to the Midwest and to the work ethic. And so there was huge teams of people working hard, but all of that was in Missouri and in Kansas City. Who knew all of that from the crockpot? Yeah, right? Well, I didn't know it was here. I did not know it was here. Why don't we talk about this? We should have a crockpot convention. Contest. We should Contest. have things with yes. the crockpot. It Thank should be you. a total theme. And we should totally. definitely give these ladies their props for all of these recipes. I was flipping through a, an old, old crockpot recipe book I had. And there was something called male chauvinist chili. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these ladies were having a lot of fun yes. doing these recipes. But the little recipe books, they weren't given nearly enough time to do recipe development as I think that they would like because they were so busy doing all this kind of scientific Q&A testing and putting the crock pot through its paces. It's almost like because they're women, we don't talk about it. Mm, mm, mm. From your mouth to God's ears. I just think that, you know, we often get forgotten, like... They make this product for us to to take care of everything, and then we do it, and then we get left in the dust, you know? Like, it's just—I want to know why the ladies left Rival, you know? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, 
they almost left so that they could have an identity and a voice and expand the product. You know, I think it's one of those things because they did talk a little bit about this, and they said that actually be, when the Crock-Pot came about and they got the seat and they were able to earn their seat at the table because they were contributing to kind of this greater good, this big project that had like blown up, they said it was a wonderful place for women to work at a time when it was still a man's world. I mean, it was the 70s and the 80s, so men were still omnipresent. And yes. all the engineers and all the people they worked with were men. And they were kind of this little department of women. And we were fortunate that we worked in a department that we were really asked to come to those high-level meetings to help create the next thing. These ladies, of course, did eventually leave Rival Corporation. But the good news is, and this is kind of the crux to this whole thing, like the secret that I've been sitting on this whole episode, is that these ladies are actually still working together today. was shocked when I did the math this morning to realize that uh, Kathy and I have now worked together 40 years. So, woo! 1,000 books are gone, ladies. Let's reintroduce. This is Roxanne Weiss and her writing partner, Kathy Moore. Wonderful to see you both. Welcome back to QVC. Roxanne and I are, have worked together forever, and we're great business associates, but also great friends. Yes. <laughs> they basically were just hired to do just straight up cookbooks because they had done so much recipe testing and kind of worked in their own test kitchen, so to speak. We have been the authors of many cookbooks, uh, now 18. They have written thousands of crockpot recipes at this point. And one of the things they decided to do was a crockpot dessert cookbook. So nothing but desserts, all desserts all the time. I've never made a dessert in my crockpot. Such a perfect medium with that controlled temperature for specific desserts. Gosh. And they used to do cooking classes in Kansas City and other places where they would actually teach women how to make an entire meal using crockpots. And they'd have multiple crockpots going throughout the class. And they would always spend the, the majority of their time, they'd do an appetizer, they'd do an entree, and then they'd do dessert. <laughs> and by the time they showed women how to use the crockpot to make a certain appetizer and a meal, they usually didn't have time to go through the entire recipe for the dessert. So they would serve, obviously, the appetizer and the entree, and then they would just pull out kind of their finished dessert, just like kind of magic on TV. And then at the very end, we'd bring out a a cheesecake as a, oh, by the way, you can do this gorgeous turtle cheesecake or whatever. And that was the only thing people wanted to know about was the cheesecake. Ooh. <laughs> you can make a cheesecake in your crock pot? Oh. <laughs> okay, so we talked about no cream cheese, but clearly, right. clearly cream cheese. And I think it has enough eggs and everything else. It's kind of a steamed, a steamed effect. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. So uh, for whatever reason, you can make a delicious cheesecake. So they did like a turtle cheesecake, they said. They poured a little caramel sauce and pecans or something over the top. And everybody would just go ape for this. It seemed like everything else we talked about that prior hour was out the window when the cheesecake came out. I mean, still to this day, I think Roxanne and I would tell you that a banana nut bread in a slow cooker is just wonderful. So the crock pot continues to endure because it has changed over time, over the history of time, it continues to evolve and create this scenario where um, it's, it's indispensable. It still puts a hot meal on the table. And I contend, and it was the first thing that you said when I asked you about your crock pot, and that is the aroma that your house is filled with when you cook with a crock pot. And I'm telling you, in smell, there is memory. It takes you back to your grandmother's house. It takes you back to your mom's place. I mean, my grandmother, she had a crock pot and she was a nurse, you know, and she worked nights. 
in my life, it's always been to make things a little bit easier. And I appreciate that. I, I like that it comes from here. And I like that the ladies put in so much work to really make the recipes work. This is really how they taught America how to cook using the crock pot. That was Jenny Vergara and Natasha Bailey on the KCUR Studios podcast, Hungry for Mo, produced by me, Suzanne Hogan, and Mackenzie Martin, with editing from Gabe Rosenberg and support from the Missouri Humanities Council. You can check out the entire first season now by searching for Hungry for Mo wherever you listen to podcasts. And like I said, we'll be back with a brand new season of People's History this May. As always, tell your friends about the podcast. Really, word of mouth is still the most legit and best form of flattery, in my opinion. And if you feel like it, write us a review and rate us. You can also send me ideas or whatever. My email is Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, at kcur.org. And we're on Twitter. Check out PHKCPod. Okay, keep in touch, take care, and we'll talk soon. Hi, this is Byron Love, a podcast producer at KCUR, and I'm here to tell you, you should check out the latest podcast that I produce, Kansas City Today. Okay, I'm not telling you to check this out just because I produce it, that of course helps, but each and every weekday, I work with the KCUR newsroom and host Aminu Giadine to get you the most relevant news for your day in Kansas City. So subscribe and dive right into the Kansas City News podcast that you've always needed right now, wherever you get your podcasts.